great truth this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our, ser- our sermon series in the book of Philippians. If you have your Bibles, grab them Philippians chapter 1. We'll complete chapter 1 uh, this morning. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be on the screen. I'm going to start in verse 12 and read through the end. Paul writes this letter to the Philippians under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and writes the very words of God. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in me, but also suffer for his sake, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. The word of the Lord. Some of you may know the story or seen the movie about Aaron Lee Ralston, who was canyoneering down at the side of a mountain um, uh, by himself, which not, you shouldn't do. Uh, and by, as he was going down this mountain, a, a boulder shifted and moved and collapsed on him and pinned his arm against uh, the rock wall. Uh, he was stuck there for five days and eventually took his pocket knife and cut his arm off to release himself from the rock. He rappelled down another 65 feet and hiked seven miles to finally find safety. You hear stories like that, and they make movies about stuff like that. Uh, they made a movie about this guy. And you, when you hear stories like that, it is amazing the ability humans have to live. Uh, despite all odds, despite having to cut your own arm, arm off, we can survive, we can live. But the question remains, what do we live for? What do you get up in the morning for? What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on, your energy on? What do you long for? What do you spend most of your energy and effort on? What do you live for? Let me ask it another way. What is worthy of your time? Don't you think about that. What in life is worthy of your time, is worthy of your effort, is worthy of your money, is worthy of your daydreams? What is worthy of your life? 
What is worth giving your life for? Not dying for, but living for. What is worth living for? Is political power worth living for? Is financial prosperity worth living for? Is your reputation worth living for? Is fun and relaxation worth living for? You've been given one life, one life that is honestly not very long in the grand scheme of things, and so how is your life best spent? What are the fading years of your life worth spending on? When I was growing up, we had two genuine, big, heavy arcade machines in the world. We had Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man. If you know anything about Pac-Man, you know Miss Pac-Man is infinitely more fun. Because Pac-Man, that guy is slow. Like, he, move, he moves slow, and, um, and it's kind of boring, but you got three lives. And so when you're running away from those ghosts trying to get the dots, you can kind of take some risks, try to, try to go around a corner and, and kind of be a little risky, uh, and you get hit by a ghost, it's okay, you got another life. But when you play Miss Pac-Man, that girl fast. And she can zip all around those ghosts, and she can get those dots, but you have one life. You have one life, and if you take a risk that you shouldn't have taken and get hit by one of the little ghosts, dead and the game starts over. We have one life on this earth. And how do we make the most of it? You have one life to spend, and how do you use it? Here's what Paul says in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Paul is calling the Philippian church, and God is calling us to live lives worthy of the gospel. Now, as I was studying this, and I was reflecting and thinking about this word, worthy, it's an interesting word, to live worthy of something. What does that mean? And as I was reflecting and thinking on that, I was having a hard time, because normally, the word worthy carries the idea or the connotation of deserving something. To be worthy of something is to deserve something. So like if you are worthy of a promotion, it's because you worked hard, you listened to your boss, you pr produced results at the company, you, you're, you're helping the company, and, and you are worthy to get that promotion. If you are an athlete uh, who makes the all-star team or makes the Pro Bowl, it is because your stats and your skill and your, uh, what you did over the course of the season made you worthy for that honor, for that team. So to be worthy of something is usually the idea of deserving or earning something. But that can't be right here. That can't be what that means here because we could never deserve or earn or be worthy of the gospel in that sense. We never deserve God's love or we never deserve the gospel. We can never earn his love. We can never pay him back. It would be impossible. That goes against all of what the Bible says. So what does Paul mean when he says that we are to live lives worthy of the gospel? I think what he means, like when I was 16 years old and I got my first car. Now, I actually got my first car when I was 15, but it was a grandma car, no offense. And as a 16-year-old, I didn't think it was very cool, so I worked really hard to get a truck. So I got a truck, and I, I was super excited to have this truck. But in my, like, nerdy, Christian, weird, teenage, awkward self, I was super excited to put a Jesus fish on the back of my truck. I don't know why. I, think, I guess I thought it was cool. Note to self, doesn't make you cool. Have a Jesus fish on your truck. Didn't help my cause. However, I thought it was cool, so I put the Jesus fish on there and was ready to go drive around town. But what I did not account for, what I did not realize, was that now everyone who saw me drive knew that I was claiming to be a Christian. And so when I cut someone off, when I was racing 
when I was going too fast on the highway, when I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing, when I was texting and driving, no one does that. When, when I was doing these things and people saw me when I cut somebody off, it wasn't that they were just like, man, what's this guy doing? Rather, it was, I thought you said you were a Christian. I thought you said you were a follower of Jesus. Why would you act like that? Why would you do that? You see, what happened when I put that Jesus fish in my car was that my actions did not simply reflect good or bad on me. My actions reflected good or bad on Jesus and on the gospel. You see, here is what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. It means that through your life, you are either enhancing or damaging the reputation of the gospel. And all of your actions, everything you do, you are either enhancing or damaging the reputation of the gospel. You see, Paul is not concerned that the Philippian church would, would live up and be worthy of being a Roman citizen. He's not concerned that they would be worthy of the Roman Empire. He is concerned that their lives are worthy of the gospel. He wants their lives to serve and advance it. So how do we do that? In this text, we see simply four ways in which we do that. The first, a life worthy of the gospel sees every circumstance as an opportunity to advance the gospel. You know, one of the things we know from Paul's other letters is that he was longing to go to Rome. He wanted to go to Rome so bad because his strategy for like advancing the gospel was to go to the big cities. He would go to the big cities, preach the gospel, get people saved, plant a church, and then leave because he knew that once that church was in that city, people were coming and going and it was lively and the gospel would spread and flourish out from the city. And so the thing that Paul wanted to do more than anything was to go to the biggest hub, the biggest city, the biggest metropolis where it was happening, place in the world, and that was Rome. He wanted to go to Rome because if he could plant a church and, and see people come to faith in Rome, it would change the world. And so Paul desperately wanted to make it to Rome. And what we find out is that he finally did. He finally did make it to Rome. He could finally do that which he had been wanting to do, but he did not make it to Rome the way he expected. Instead of traveling in on a horse on his own terms to go to the temples and and to reason with people, to go where he wanted to go to preach the gospel, he couldn't do that because Paul did not arrive on his own. He arrived in Rome as a prisoner. He arrived in Rome in chains. Not in a dungeon, but under house arrest where for 24 hours a day, he was shackled and handcuffed to another to a guard. But notice what Paul says about his imprisonment in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul so badly wanted to go to Rome, and God made a way. It wasn't the way that Paul had planned, because God doesn't normally follow our plans. God had a different plan, and so God got him to Rome as a prisoner. But Paul sees his imprisonment not as an inconvenience, not as detrimental to his work. He actually sees his imprisonment as the Lord's providential plan. He's like, look, my imprisonment is actually serving the gospel. He's like, guys, listen. They chain a dude to me 24 hours a day. There's just different dudes coming in here all the time, chaining themselves to me, and they just got to listen to me. And so, and so they're like, hey, buddy, I haven't seen you before. Get, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, okay? And he just gets to do that all the time. 
It's like when I get on an airplane and, and, some, and someone buckles up next to me right before they put their headphones on. I go, oh, hey, what was your name again? Oh, yeah, cool. And this is my trick. Uh, what do you do for a living? Oh, that's cool. Because you know what they're going to ask me next? Well, what do you do for a living? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Hope you, get, hope, you're not, hope you didn't have a movie you were planning on watching because we're about to talk about Jesus. That's what Paul got to do for, for every day, 24 hours a day, guards coming and going, shackling themselves to him. He gets to tell them about Jesus. He's like, guys, my imprisonment has served the gospel. He's sharing it with these guards every single day. These guards slowly get converted, and here's the crazy thing. Here's what God knows in his providence. Paul could have came and went around the town, went to the temples and saw people converted, but instead, God put him in a place where that the people who were around Caesar, the people who were around all the royalty, the people who were around all the people who make decisions, Paul got to share the gospel with those guys, and then when they left Paul, they went to guard Caesar. So now people who are around Caesar know what a Christian is, and are some, and some of them are Christians themselves. Think of the implications of that. Paul knew that his imprisonment was the Lord's plan and that he was placed there to best advance the mission. You see, we may not like or understand where God puts us in life. We may not understand why we did or did not get a promotion, why our kid did or did not make a certain team. But everywhere you are, the cubicle you sit in, wherever you are, is a platform to share the gospel. How do you live a life worthy of the gospel? You use and you leverage and you don't miss opportunities that are right in front of you to change people's lives with the gospel. Some of you are called to go to Africa and you do. Some of you are called to go to Canada and you will go. But many of you are called to go to the bleachers. That every week you sit with a bunch of parents on bleachers as you watch your kid play whatever sport he plays. And then you go to his game and you sit on those bleachers again with those parents and you talk to those parents, you plan, you know, get-togethers with those parents for the team, you talk to them, and what an opportunity that God has placed you there. Some of you are, are maybe really encouraged, like, I don't know how my kid made this team. He's not that good. He shouldn't be on this team. Or, or you're mad because your kid didn't make that team and he's on this team. But maybe the reason is because God wanted you on that bleacher with those parents that you might share the gospel with. The reason you did or didn't get that promotion, the reason you are where you are is so that you can advance the gospel. In the same way that God placed Paul in a Roman prison, so too has God placed you exactly where you are. You are exactly where he intended you to be. You are not early, you are not late, you are right on time for a purpose. A life worthy of the gospel sees every circumstance as an opportunity to advance that gospel. The other interesting thing about Paul's imprisonment is in verse 14. He says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, other people saw Paul in prison for the gospel. They saw what he was doing. It made them more bold. It made them want to go share the gospel more. It made them get out of their comfort zone and go live on mission. The same thing happened when Jim Elliott, the missionary, was killed by the, by the people he was trying to get in the middle of the jungle to, to save, to share the gospel with. They killed him. And what did it do to people back home? They heard about it and went, now we got to go. And they went to those same people. When Martin Luther spoke up against the Catholic Church, it emboldened everyone else to say, hey, you know what? Maybe we should read the Bible for ourselves too. When you are bold with the gospel, when you share the gospel, other people see it and go, if they can do it, maybe I can too. A life worthy of the gospel sees every circumstance as an opportunity to advance it. The second thing we see is that a life worthy of the gospel 
is not envious or jealous, but only concerned with the mission. There's this whole section right here in 15 where he says, there are, there are some people who have preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. He says there are some that are doing it out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me. What is going on? He says, there are some people that see Paul's imprisonment as an opportunity. Like, hey, now Paul's in prison, now it's my shot. And so they're gonna go around and preach Christ and they're hoping to fill Paul's shoes. They want uh, to take Paul's place. They want what he had. And how does Paul react to these people who are not genuinely preaching about Jesus, not genuinely sharing, but doing it out of selfish ambition? He's unfazed, he's unconcerned, he's not upset. Instead, he is rejoicing. He's like, hey, I don't care why they're doing it. As long as they're sharing Jesus, doesn't matter to me. This is an incredibly practical and an incredibly hard to hear point. I've been churching a long time and many of you have been in church a lot longer than me and you have seen this as well as I have. You've seen how, church, and I'm thankful, man, our church is not really like this and I'm really grateful for that. But we have seen in churches people fight over music, fight over who is in charge of this ministry or that ministry, who's, who, who's in charge of getting to make that decision or what we sing, what we eat, what event we do, what color the carpet is. Church people can be so mean and bicker and fight. Well, you didn't ask me. You didn't get my opinion. Well, so-and-so didn't used to do it that way. Now I'm, I'm going to quit because I don't like it doing it that way. We fight over trivial, superficial preferences. People get their feelings hurt because, well, you didn't ask me what I thought. Here's Paul's simple message. We ain't got time for that. We have a mission of people dying, going to hell. We have got to get after preaching Christ I don't care what your motivation, I don't care what these superficial issues are. We've got to get down and get going. As long as people are preaching Christ, then I'm going to rejoice. A life worthy of the gospel is not one who is worried about getting the credit, not worried about uh, why or who is serving in whatever other area. They're just encouraged that they are doing it. The point is we should be kingdom-minded. We shouldn't look at big churches and go, oh man, I wish we could be like that. We should go, man, I'm so glad the Lord is using them. That's great. And we shouldn't look at little churches or struggling churches and say, and be prideful and think, man, I mean, we're great. At least we're not like that. We should pray and say, man, Lord, Lord, use them. When the church across the street baptizes somebody, we shouldn't go, man, they got them, we didn't. We should go, yes, another one for the kingdom. We should be kingdom-minded we are not odds, at odds or competing with other churches. They are our brothers and sisters, and we are on the same mission together. A life worthy of the gospel is not envious or jealous, but only concerned with the mission. Third thing, which kind of leads right into it, a life worthy of the gospel is one that is unified with other believers. Because it does not take a genius to, to look at our country right now and see that it seems like we're more divided than ever. Fighting. You can't get on social media without seeing people fighting, calling each other names, friendships broken. Everyone has an opinion about every issue, and anyone who disagrees with that opinion is a horrible, evil, good, no very bad person. There is no unity. How can our church come together and have unity? How can we have unity? How can we stand, as Paul says, in one mind, in one spirit, having unity? How can we do that? When we have a church of, of people who have different political opinions, we have a church full of people who have different opinions on masks, different opinions on the coronavirus. We have different opinions about everything under the sun. And so how can we have unity? Athletes will tell you, you know, sports bring people together. But only until the buzzer rings. In 9-11, our country came together for like a month. 
anything that brings us together is never truly lasting. And so how are we supposed to have unity? How are we, not, how are we supposed to not tear each other apart over our disagreements? We have something the world does not have. We are united by a king and his message. You see, we can have different opinions on whatever issue and still be united because we agree on the biggest, most important thing that transcends everything else. We believe that Jesus is king. We believe that we're sinners in desperate need for grace that only God can give. We believe in a guy who came, God who came to earth who died and was raised from the dead. We are united, the text says, in one spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in all of us. And so we're brothers and sisters. So every other issue pales in comparison. See, when Jesus is king, everything else falls by the wayside. And really, it's like this. When you believe that there is a king and a kingdom that is coming, when you believe that this king and this kingdom will restore or replace everything that is broken, heal everything that is broken, every issue that we fight over or disagree about, it suddenly becomes a temporary thing. And when you believe in eternal things that last forever, temporary things don't carry as much weight. And so we can link arms together, church. We can, be, we can have unity no matter the color of our skin, no matter the language we speak, no matter our political party preferences, no matter what our disagreements. We can disagree and link arms and say, that's my brother, even though I think he's wrong about this issue. That's my brother, and we're gonna go forward on this mission together. See, when we are united together, we live lives worthy of the gospel. And when the world sees that, when the world sees that we are people of all different kind of stripes and yet we are united, maybe, just maybe, they'll look at us and go, maybe there's something to Jesus after all. If nothing else can unite the world, and yet these people are united and they're all different, maybe, maybe Jesus is the answer we've been looking for all along. Finally, a life worthy of the gospel does not fear death, but longs to meet Jesus. Guys, the end of your life has to be secure before the present can be lived worthy of the gospel. In this section, Paul in verse 21 gives one of the most famous lines in all of scripture. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul then goes on to describe this struggle that he has. On the one hand, he knows that he, he, he should remain alive because he, he needs to serve these churches. There's a lot of work to be done. He can serve Christ. But on the other hand, he's like, I kind of want to die and meet Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul is being suicidal, but rather it is him longing to finally meet Jesus face to face. Because the whole point of the gospel is that we get God in the end, that we get a relationship with God. And he's like, listen, if death is the door by which I've got to walk you to finally meet him, I'm okay with that because it is gain, he says. For the Christian, death should not be scary. Death is gain. This is why Christians throughout the centuries have been burned at the stake. And when they were, they sang hymns rejoicing. Because to live was Christ, but to die was gain. It is the reason that you can walk into a hospital room before a major surgery. And depending on whether the person going into surgery is a believer or not, the room is totally different. You go into one room where the person's not a believer and it is heavy and it is sad and it's, there's fear and there's anxiety and there's worry and there's asking all kinds of questions and it's just heavy. But then you go into a room of a believer, a committed follower of Jesus, they're going into major surgery. There's laughter, smiles, giggles. There's, it's, it's just, there's levity, there's lightness. 
I'm not worried. What's the worst that's going to happen to me? I don't wake up, that'll be all right. So go home. Just, just two weeks ago, I was meeting with a, a, a member of our church who has just faced a, a, a really difficult cancer diagnosis. I was at her house in her living room, and I was talking to her about it, getting the updates of what's going on and you know, how she was doing and all those kinds of things. You know what she said to me? She said to me, Brent, I have lived a good life. The Lord has been kind to me. I've, I've, I've worked to see my, so many of my family members come to know Jesus. I've enjoyed life, and if it is my time, then I know where I'm going, and I'm going home, and that's okay. I'm ready. Ready. Do you know what she was saying to me? She said, Brent, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. She said, Brent, to live is Christ, and that's great because I'd love to be here and, and keep serving and keep living and, and enjoying this, but to die, I'm ready. That's a gain. A life worthy of the gospel is built on these two ideas. If, if we are to live, we're going to follow and serve Jesus. But if we're going to die, we finally get to meet him. So to live, that's Christ. In the Greek, it's interesting that the word is is not in there. In the Greek, it is to live, Christ. To die, gain. To live is to serve Jesus. To die is to meet him. If you have not seen the musical Hamilton, you need to get Disney Plus and go watch it because it's awesome. And in, the, in this musical, Alexander Hamilton, he wants to go fight with George Washington. And uh, Washington says, he says, um, it's all right. You want to fight? You've got hunger? I was just like you when I was younger, a head full of fantasies of dying like a martyr. And Hamilton says, yes, dying like a martyr. But then Washington responds and he says, dying is easy, young man. Living, harder. And living is harder. Everything in this world is competing for your attention. It's competing for your affection. It's telling you, live for me. If you live for me, I'll make you happy. If you live for political power, it'll, it'll, it'll make your life better. If you live for money, it'll make your life better. If you live for relationships, it'll make your life better. If you live for status, recognition, relationships, it'll make your life better. But do you know what? If for you to live is power, then to die is to be powerless. If for you to live is money, then to die is to be broke. If for you to live is status, then to die is to be a nobody. If for you to live is to be beautiful and to recognize, then to die is to be ugly and alone. And if for you to live is to be in a relationship, then to die is to always be single. Only when for you to live is Christ can to die be gain. Paul is in prison, handcuffed to a guard 24 hours a day, and yet he is the happiest man in all of Rome. How is that? Because for Paul to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, when you know Jesus, you know a love that surpasses all your mistakes. You know the God who created the world and also gave his life for you, to forgive you. When you know Jesus, you have a friend who understands everything you face in this life. When you know Jesus, you have a comforter, you have hope, you have peace, you have security, you have joy beyond anything. You want to have joy? Live for Christ, and then even death will be gained. You see, we live lives worthy of the gospel not to get God to love us, because he already loves us. We don't live lives worthy of the gospel to get something from God. He has already given us all things. We instead live lives worthy of the gospel because Jesus has so blessed us that we want to live worthy of him, show the world what he is like. We have one life. Let your life be lived worthy of the gospel. 
Let your life signal to everyone you meet that Jesus is somebody they should get to know. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness and kindness, you have given us Jesus. And Lord, we know that if we are to live, then we, we have Christ and we can serve him and there is great joy there. But we know, God, we can face death without fear because to die is to gain. Get to meet Jesus face to face. Lord, help us to be a people who live worthy of the gospel. Help us to be a church who lives worthy of the gospel. That all of our actions do not damage the reputation of Christ, but instead increase the reputation of Christ. Let our words, let our actions, let our social media posts, let all that we do increase the reputation of Jesus and not damage. Lord, let us be worthy of the gospel. And know, help us to know that even when we're not, even when we fail, even when we fall short, we still love us. Because that's what the gospel is all about. Second chances, third chances, 99th chance, 1,752,273rd chance. Forgive us again and again. We love you in Christ and we pray.